Hey guys, welcome to the debrief after our episode with Ryan Wyatt from Polygon Studios. Polygon Studios, David. Kind of cool. It's like Polygon's business development crypto gaming arm, mm -hmm. system development. Sort of stool, cool that they are expanding that space and they've got an executive from YouTube to do that. So they're bringing in some firepower here. The, the first thing that came to mind really with this episode, and, and we all know this is true with everything about crypto, not, not just with, with um, gaming, but there's so much left to do with crypto. <laughs> so much we, work. There's so exhausting. Much, <laughs> we need to build out the games. Then we need to build out the content ecosystems. Then we need to fix like the user onboarding process. There's so much left. And that's just with crypto gaming, right? Like the sit there's, and one of the reasons why I think we're talking about crypto gaming uh, is because everyone just sees these two things coming together and they all know they're going to collide. And we've yeah. already had like little micro collisions with, you know, Axie Infinity and a, a few other games. Uh, but it's really about what the future has. Like kind of like what I was saying in, in the pod, in the, in the episode, uh, these, these, we all see these two things hurtling at each other and we haven't seen, seen them collide yet. And when they do collide, there's a ton of value to be made. There's a ton of just like things to build. There's a lot of things to talk about, but they're not collided yet. And everyone's like ideating on the potential future that happens post collision. But right now we're pre collision, right? Right, right now is still being built out. Um, but everyone knows it's coming. Uh, just no one knows really what's on the other side of things. Yeah, and I think that's different than uh, 2018, 2019 vibes, which were like, we don't know for sure if it's coming, actually. Like, yeah. we know other there's other product market fit in crypto, but crypto gaming is not necessarily one of them. And I do right. feel like that's why the story, the breakout of 2021, was the, was the gaming sector with Axie Infinity, which just, like, put all of that to rest. They're just like, crypto gaming is going to be a thing. It's now obvious that it's a multi-billion dollar thing and now it's just a matter of, okay, can we repeat that? And how does it evolve in the future? What are the other successes? But um, what's interesting to me is, like, I know I made this, this point a couple of times during our conversation with him, which is um, I've been a little bit like, so for crypto to obviously get to a billion people or more, we know that it has to expand beyond the base of uh, the decentralization maximalists and crypto natives, right? It's inevitable. It has to happen. I've been a little bit worried about what happens to crypto when that happens. Like, do our values get kind of diluted by that? Does it get sort of, you know, saturated, uh, washed away, that sort of thing? Um, this was an interesting conversation because I don't think Ryan Y is not coming for decentral values of uh, maximal decentralization, right? He's just coming because he sees a blank ca canvas to build the next generation gaming uh games and gaming platforms of the future and so he brings a very web 2 pragmatic approach to the table which is actually helpful i think for some of the crypto natives to hear because it's very okay so like who cares about the like the you know the long term who's right and who's wrong let's just focus on onboarding the most amount of people possible let's focus on get out of the debates and the like the philosophy and sort of the you know the pie in the sky perfection, and let's get real practical and build some things that people actually want. So I don't know. It, it seemed like a ref I guess a, a a different message, and I definitely see the the utility in that take. And I think his class, some some of the new entrants coming in from Web two, uh, can learn. We can learn something from them. I hope they learn something from us too. 
but I think we can also learn something from them. It's the, probably the most unhelpful question I can think of right now is, is that game decentralized? <laughs> yes. <it's laughs> That's going to be the stupidest question to ever ask. Right? Because like gamers, are, they don't, they're not going to care about decentralization and nor they should. And what like, does it even mean? What does it even mean to have like, in my mind, a decentralized game means like a community owned and operated game. Like yeah. a DAO open, owned Open game. economy. Yeah. Uh, there, there were conversations at Ethan Ember recently about um, uh, DAO based world building. As in, like, can we get the DAO to write the next pages of the book? Like, of the lore that is in games, can we put that up for, like, snapshot vote? Yeah. Like, who, who wants to write the na- next chapter of the book? A bunch of content creators come, and they decide what, where this game goes next, and three proposals come up, and they decide that this game needs to go in this direction. Like, that's the most decentralized game I can think of, and that's kind of, like, the sci-fi stuff that I think really gets, uh, really gets me excited. That type of stuff is not what is going to onboard the one billion gamers of the <laughs> no. world. Like, no. not in the slightest. That's a cool thought experiment. And once we get to that point, we'll know we will have totally succeeded. But before then, it's very, very basic stuff like NFT skins, like Ryan was talking about. Like, game, and assets that don't have, that don't impact the gameplay or the game mechanics, but do impact the cosmetics and the the way that the game is rendered uh and those can be like transported around stuff we're already seeing that's probably where it starts here's another piece of zen for you from that episode which is basically you know all of the nft uh haters mm-hmm. and uh futters of the world uh who are making like points and attacking nfts just ignore them mm. we just ignore them build around like, them Build around them. Prove them wrong. Mm-hmm. Just uh, you don't actually have to engage in those conversations because if because they are right in some ways, current state. I I always feel like people like this. Um, I hear I hear I hear their criticisms, and I always want to respond with, but like, of course, some of the you're right now, but mm-hmm. do you? How can you not see the potential of this? Mm-hmm. Right. I just want to be like, OK, I, I, I accept some of your arguments now, but like we are headed towards this future and they don't see that future. So ra- rather than waste a lot of time engaging with these debates, you can also just like build and then wait for the future to catch up with them. Mm-hmm. And that is a bit of Zen. Maybe I needed to hear because sometimes like. You know, sometimes you're tempted to engage in in these uh, no, convince no, people. Wrong debates. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and it's just not worth it when you can just wait until they find the NFT game, crypto game that might have another term that they completely fall in love with, and pretty soon they're making you know the case for you, the case you already made. Um, when yeah. we zoom out and view these like NFT crypto game haters as a whole, what we really need to view them as is. Actually, it's our problem. Uh, of course, it's our problem. We haven't built the solutions for them yet. Yes. They are voicing their concerns. They're voicing their grievances. They're looking to be heard. And they're not looking to be heard by like the crypto people coming and telling them and yelling up that, that they're wrong. They're looking yes. to be heard by newer and better, more innovative projects mm-hmm. that answer to their qualms, whatever their qualms may be. And we've seen this dynamic play out in other ways. In, gen- in general, hardliners move the Overton window. Um, Bitcoiners, when Bitcoiners yelled at Ethereans in 2018 to 2020 during the bear market, like, oh, Ethereum's not decentralized, has centralization vectors with the teams, blah, blah, blah. Like, they were wrong, 
But they moved the culture of Ethereum. Like the Bitcoiners made and forced Ethereans to be better at being decentralized and because like, and, and they're still not convinced, but they did uh, instill some of their decentralization values into people, people like me that, that were actually hearing what the Bitcoiners had to say. And this is just kind of how society, uh, we, we see this with like uh, in politics as well. Like Republicans are hardliners to Democrats are hardliners. They just force the hands of the other saying, no, we're not going to budge. And that really forces other people to figure out how do we navigate the, how do we thread the needle? Like how do we make them happy um, and answer to their pragmatic uh, question qualms while also just not answering to their just like inherent maximalism. Like imagine being an anti-net NFT maximalist. We're never going to convince them, but they'll still make us better at the end of the day. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that take. And it's just maybe this is sort of a, a learning lesson for me in 2022 as I'm coming into 2022 is like, I felt very much um, 2018, 2019, it was fight for survival. And so like, that's kind of the the darkness in which like I've been brought up in crypto and I think you've been brought up too in crypto. It's like, you have to fight for this shit. And so yeah. like, we want decentralization. We have to fight for it. All of this. I'm becoming a little bit more Zen in 2022. Like the 2022 Ryan is a little bit more like, you know what? Decentralization is going to win in the end anyway. Right. Right. And like, um, for instance, Ethereum is going to flip in Bitcoin anyway. Right. I If Ether is money, like all of these arguments I felt like, uh, we had to very impassionately make in previous years um, are no longer like that necessary to make. Like, I, I'm just feeling more zen about the market in the long run, being able to figure out which L1 is decentralized and which isn't, which NFTs are legitimate, which aren't, you know, crypto gaming, which um, like which ecosystems thrive and which aren't. So I'm not saying I'm becoming less decentralization maximalist in terms of values. I just am becoming a little bit more Zen in terms of um, engaging in temporal arguments about it because time is on our side. And, and timing's really, really important. Imagine if we somehow just like managed to produce this magical argument that convinced every NFT crypto gaming hater out there. And then they were all like, okay, yes, I'm on board now. Uh, I guess I'll come into the industry. Yeah, it would we break. don't have enough games for them to play. <laughs> no, it like, would. We don't and it would have break. enough room. We don't have enough block space scalability, or or just like we don't. There's not enough things for them to do. We have like yeah. four or five good games. What are they all going to play? Axie Infinity? Like no. Like and so <laughs> we, we we all want to convince these people, but at the end of the day, exactly what Ryan Ryan Wyatt was saying, like the only way that we're going to convince them is actually building a product that they love. We don't have enough crypto gaming products to convince the anti crypto gamers of the of the world that it's actually the right move. And so it's it's just a temporary. We haven't built out the answers yet, and everyone in crypto is is a visionary everyone sees the the future of the world as something different than where it is now and if you're not in crypto you're less likely to have that imagination and optimism about the future crypto people understand that we have to build this thing out and the future is going to be better and non-crypto people just look at crypto and be like what you guys are doing is completely silly and ridiculous because it is like board apes are going for a bajillion dollars. That's ridiculous. But people in crypto understand that the future is going to be different and it's actually going to be less ridiculous in the future. Uh, and sometimes people, they're just front running the opportunity. That's what they're doing. The people who are say yes to crypto now are front running the opportunity. People that say no to crypto now just aren't the crypto natives that are compelled by crypto culture. And they're just waiting 
they don't subconsciously they don't even know it yet but they're just waiting for us to make a product that they enjoy yeah there's this guy i um i've really liked for a while um He's actually the co-creator of like, you know, Ruby, Ruby on Rails, that sort of thing. He developed 37 Signals. He developed a product called uh, Basecamp. Uh, anyway, uh, I read a post this morning from him and he's been very crypto crypto skeptical, right? We don't need, like, why do we need Bitcoin? Why do we need a, a, a self-sovereign money system? None of it matters. He wrote a post today called, I was wrong. We need crypto. <laughs> Let and me guess. What, it came right after the Canada thing. Yes. So it's like, this is the thing. What convinced him? Not another person on twitter um saying like this is why like not that not listening to the bankless podcast uh it was a real world event that he observed and he actually saw state censorship of the banking system right so the canada thing for those that don't know is there was protests in in uh canada um uh, like people calling the trucker protests the freedom convoy all of these things Anyway, uh, Canadian government intervened and actually froze a whole bunch of Canadian citizens' bank accounts if you were involved in donating to this protest, okay? And this is so not about- Political dissent resulted in the financial freezing of people. Right. And this is not about like me or you, David, or Bankless being like pro this protest or anti this protest, but like we are pro non-state freezing of bank accounts, okay? Right. Like and if, if you didn't get that yet, I mean, the title of the show is Bankless, <laughs> all right? So like um, we, ha we have to be on that side, right. uh, obviously. And th this is what uh, DHH, uh, David Heinemeyer Hansen said, I was wrong, we need crypto because he observed this event ha happening. And that was the thing, that was the news story, the, the catalyzing event for him to be like, oh, I get it now. Like, I understand. Oh, those crypto bros actually got it. I, oh, I get the it laser, now. Because, yeah. look, man, because he didn't identify with the laser eyes. Right. I understand right. that. It looks yeah. weird outside so, looking in. Or, very like, cultish. You don't identify with um, the Axiom Infinity cult and the massive gains. Like, it, 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 like the, the, I don't the identify kind of with massive gains. <laughs> sorry, the massive, like, the Ponzi economics of right. the thing, uh -huh. right? Like, some people just don't. I get it. But there'll be something that happens over the next decade, maybe some game that they fall in love with, maybe some, you know, a game that they loved and they, and they have their assets frozen or taken away, something like this, that will be the catalyzing event. So for me, it's just like in 2022, I'm just a little bit more Zen than I used to be, David, of just like, ah, things Take will happen. Faith. Yeah, things faith. will unfold and you'll be convinced by one event or another. It's not my personal like job to convince you of these things. I just feel like I can be more patient now. Yeah, going back to what you, what you said, there was a time 2018 through 2020 where like we had to fight tooth and nail for relevancy. Yeah. And so like it took it's taken us a while to like take that hat off like oh, we can breathe. Like crypto yeah. the ball's rolling downhill. It's it, it, done. It, in 2018 to 2020, we, like the collective Ethereum community, like Bitcoin I think was going to survive no matter what. Totally. Ethereum could have died in 2018 yeah. to 2020. Totally could have. And the collective Ethereum community had to push the boulder uphill and get it up over the mountain. Get that momentum. And now it's rolling. Now yes, it's rolling now it's downhill. Rolling. And and yeah. like now I'm like, ugh, like, it, like we haven't built out enough solutions to appease everyone, but we will. Because, yeah. because there's investment opportunity into building out those solutions. Totally. Yeah. It's kind of enjoy the ride. And I appreciate the Zen that he, that he brought in this too, because he's just like, okay, well now all, all we have to do is uh, continue building. Right. Um, yeah. Any other, any other thoughts from that episode? Um, 
I mean, okay, yeah, a little bit. Uh, I don't really know the long... I, I think Polygon Studios and what it is is relatively um, an unwritten book. I think mm. they have their very basic game plan, which is to just onboard games and help games be better and be more useful to games. But over time, it might just turn into, like, you know, a, a content ecosystem, a guild, a bunch of things. Like, how that translates into value into the Matic token, I think it's a really interesting conversation that no one really knows the answer to yet. Uh, but like if, if Ryan Wyatt, he's a crypto gaming or excuse me, the gaming head director of gaming at YouTube, former uh, YouTube has so much surface area. And when we know that attention in crypto is really what drives price uh, this, I mean, this is not a one year conversation probably not even a three-year conversation, but like a five to 10-year conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, if like Polygon Studios works out, that's so much surface area for the Matic token. Yeah, I I definitely think it's bullish in the Matic token because they, Matt, like I think Polygon gets something that not a lot of execution layers or alternative layer ones get, which is it's about more than the technology. It's about the ecosystem that you develop and bringing, bringing this community's ecosystem to the space. And they get both sides of that. And I think that's bullish. I um, also found it interesting to hear. So, you know, a, a, a web two technology executive at a Fang tech company is making a lot of money. Okay. They, and they're like, they're doing really well in their careers. And so we, we think about the um, like investing in crypto uh, as people actually buying assets and that sort of thing, that's part of it. But uh, another part is deciding to invest your entire career, your future career in crypto. And it's one thing if you're like a 20-something coming out of college and you got nothing to lose, right? It's another thing if you're like at the at the your peak career and you're deciding what's my next step and I'm an executive at YouTube and do I want to go work at like become a senior vice president at, at Twitch or some other Web2 company? Or do I want to onboard to this weird Web3 thing? And it was interesting to me hearing his his rationale for that. He was like, I, I do, first of all. So he chose Web3. And then he was like, what, what company to choose? Well, uh, Ethereum's here to stay. Okay, I know that. That's like the base. Um, crypto gaming is a thing. Polygon is doing a lot in this space. Layer two is going to be a big deal. Massive untapped potential. And this is someone, I think Ryan is an example of someone who's like um, played his career very well, getting in at the very early stages of things when people you know, didn't believe. And now he's choosing to basically invest his talent, invest his entire career in the space as well. Mm -hmm. That is a big signal to me when talent decides to invest in the space, particularly talent that has a lot to lose right. if they're wrong and that are, are kind of like peak peak in their career right. and they decide that this thing is real. Mm -hmm. uh, you gotta you gotta watch out for moves like that. I think that that's why this um, this conversation was a, was a big deal to me too, hearing his story. Yeah, yeah, that's a really fantastic point. And what I'm gonna say is probably just gonna re reiterate all of that. Like it's one thing to convince the people that, like exactly what you said, like all, all the people that don't have a name for themselves, that are trying to figure out what they do, what they want to do in their lives that don't really have to lose it, leave anything behind to go into crypto. Uh, yeah. Like those people go into crypto first. Um, and, but you're, you're totally right. Like crypto is at the phase where it's taking C level web to gargantuan like leaders and taking and 
plopping them and they feel safe enough to be in, in crypto. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like the, the the recent experience that, the, that I had was convincing my my friend at BlackRock, who's a, literally a, a vice president of like exactly chief of right. staff at, at BlackRock, who also like is personally not like cannot take too much risks in her own life, and then she also just yeets herself into crypto because <laughs> she feels safe enough to do that. Like yeah. the, like the crypto has worked its way up the stack of people that that are not cannot can only cannot afford to take risk. And they're saying, look, crypto's not risky enough, uh, or crypto is sufficiently de-risked to, to, to the point where I can be in this and I feel safe at that. So that's a really, yeah, that's a really good take. Uh, maybe Ryan, why is just the first of, of many, many to come? Yeah, I do think this brain drain from, uh, you know, web two to web three is real. Like even the entrepreneurs in this space, like, uh, does the world really need another social network? Like what right. else do you build on web two? Right. You know, totally. like, but Web three is completely. Uh, like, think about the, the most recent thing that got built in, in Web two was Clubhouse, and it just got eaten by Twitter. Yeah, exactly, right. and that's what's going to happen to you in in mm -hmm. Web two is you'll just be right. uh, force acquired, deplatformed, right. or you know, outcompeted mm -hmm. by a social media gargantuan. Um, yeah, so that's cool too. Uh, what else stuck out at you from that episode? Anything else? Yeah, there, there's um, something that uh, I didn't I didn't get to talk about that I kind of wanted to. Um, we, we we talked about how like the Diablo three auction house kind of ruined the environment for Diablo three. Yeah. Uh, and but now we're like kind of formalizing that in in crypto. And I made the case that like crypto is highly iterative and highly experimental, so we can experiment our way well, out of things. That's a good point. Um, the other point that I want to make is also well, like the Diablo three auction house that was uh, in a different era. That was over ten years ago. Like we now have ape culture. Like we now we now have like YOLO meme stock culture. So like yeah, maybe it was just like too soon, both from a technology perspective, as in like they needed crypto to really do that right. But it could also have been too soon as like people just weren't ready to be financially speculating on assets inside of games. So what like, happened? What actually happened with the Diablo three auction house? So that was a, like, I didn't get into the, the mechanics of that. I kind of stopped like shortly after Diablo two, actually mm -hmm. like why, why did that, what went off the rails there? Yeah. It's just like, it, it, it is, it's a lot of the same arguments that we're seeing out of the anti crypto gaming people here today. And, and well, Ryan, uh, I think explained it better than I, I did is that like the, the cool innovation, was that you could play games and you could find in-game items and you could take them to the auction house and make real-world money. You could connect your PayPal account to the auction house uh, and you could you could list it for sale. Kind of like, you know, a, a Uniswap, not a Uniswap, like an order book uh, exchange. Coin, um, NFT items, the Diablo items were like yeah, NFTs, yeah, basically. Yeah, think about that. Think about just like stable coins and NFTs with an order book marketplace. Um, and, or, you know, it was a, no, it was an eBay. It was an eBay. It was a well, big eBay. eBay. Is, no, yeah, eBay is OpenSea, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and so it is definitely like before its time uh, for all the reasons that I've explained, like the technology just wasn't there. It's too manual. It's too frustrating. But like the point I want to make is that the culture wasn't also there either. Like people weren't ready to accept money influencing the outcomes of the state of games. But what actually happened to it? Did it die because no one used it? Or did no, it no, die? people used it too much and the game lost all of its fun. 
Um, the, the community just like, God, oh, this thing's breaking everything. Like now I, ha I have, when I play the game in the back of my head, the auction house is influencing my decisions and I don't like it. So eventually they just killed it. And Diablo three is doing just fine as a game. People still play it to this day. It was only in the first, like, I think three to six months that they had the, of the first three to six months that the, the game was out, they had this auction house mechanism. And Blizzard and they, just discontinued it because yeah, they, were like, they, they iterated it, they, they nerfed it, they, they tinkered with it, and then at some point they were like, F it, it, F it, we're just killing it, we're just killing it. Like, great experiment, but like, we're just going to go back to the old model of like, no, no financing of in-game assets. So they, so they just, they, they, and the community was like, yeah, good move, good move. Like, no one really questioned it. That's interesting. Did Blizzard, mm -hmm. uh, they probably didn't get any like recurring revenue on item sales or anything else? Not this? that I can remember. I don't remember that being a facet. I can't Look, remember. I, I do think that the point carries, which is just like, um, just because one experiment fails doesn't mean the entire, mm -hmm. you know, set it like, it right. doesn't mean there's nothing here. So yeah, who knows why that experiment failed? Maybe some of it was cultural, as you yeah. say, maybe there's a, a slew of other reasons. Um, with crypto, what's nice is you have the opportunity, I think you, you made this point very well, of iterating on it and experimenting with it, not just with your own developers internally, but like with an entire community who can like mod this thing out mm -hmm. and hack on the on the mechanics of it and you know change it as a community. And then you not just have this one experiment, you have like thousands of experiments potentially, other crypto game experiments going on in parallel. So I do feel like the, um, yeah, just one failed experiment. It's uh, it's sort of funny that that keeps getting referred to as like a uh, mm -hmm. a, th a, thing a thing and a right. reason why uh, crypto gaming marketplaces right. don't work. Yeah, and and just to drive this point home one more time, it was a combination of. Uh, old elder millennials and younger gen X's who were participating in the auction house. Like the person paying $70,000 was not a millennial. That was a gen X person, right? Or maybe even older than that. Uh, and meanwhile, uh, gen Z were children. Um, and, and, but now with crypto gaming, it's younger millennials and, and gen Z that are the participants who watched, uh, you know, the GME, the movement, the AMC short squeeze who like got the stimmy checks and aped it into whatever are watching NFTs go gangbusters. Like these people are going to be much more conducive to digital asset marketplaces inside of their games than, than the cultures that came before it. Uh, and so like, Maybe that was the thing that really broke the Diablo auction house. Maybe it was the fact that it was the Gen Xers rather than the Zoomers that were participating. Who knows? Like, like one of the reasons why everyone feels so convicted, Mark Cuban says, or so somebody says that like, oh yeah, like uh, they, they kids pay hey, like 50 to $100 to have a Fortnite skin and they swap out the Fortnite skins every single time they play a match and they don't think twice about it. And these are just in-game assets that people have. Like we've already, over the last, since the Diablo auction house for 10 years ago, we've trained the consumers of the world to understand and value in-game assets much, much yeah, better. Yeah, 10 years ago, people weren't buying in-game assets right. at all, right? That wasn't even a thing. Right. So now we've already crossed that chasm of in-game assets have value. Totally. Yeah, so I see that. Totally. Anything else, man? I think that's it. Guys, uh, that was it. I hope you enjoyed the episode. We've now, I think, made, David, what, three? Four? Crypto gaming-specific episodes? Do you think this is uh, the end? Or we got yeah. some more in the queue? <laughs> I wish we could actually talk about like actual like, games. Um, I mean, we we could. 
Everyone's already heard about Axie Infinity. I, w- I just want to actually play, th- play some games. The game has not been built for me. I am not yet a, c- a crypto gamer. Uh, I did play Goss Unchained a while ago, but that, that, only, that was a short-lived thing. Yeah, I'm kind of waiting too. I feel like uh, we've done enough gaming episodes on the potential of it, so hopefully right. listeners have an idea. And I think our next um, set of episodes can wait until we, uh, we really games. have some next killer use cases. So I feel like I'm good for a little bit on crypto gaming, unless something... Until awesome the next, happens. like, Web 2 uh, massive C-level uh, person moves into Web 3 yeah, for some exactly. reason. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Something like that. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, appreciate you being a premium subscriber. Hope you enjoyed the debrief. Talk to you later. Oh, not that button.